Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to Wake Up in the Word. Thanks for joining me this morning. Grab a good cup of coffee, the Word of God. Go back to John chapter 11. I know I am taking a long time in this passage, but you know, this is one of those that you don't want to miss a thing about the truths that are coming out of this passage. You don't want to miss anything, and so I'm, I'm going ridiculously slow. I know I make fun of some of you guys who seem to preach so slowly through Scripture. To ask a friend, well, well where are you in your study of, and, and then name the book. Say, well, you know, last year I made it through verse 4. Well, where are you this year? Well, I've, I've, I've made it through verse 5 after three months. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm way to, um, I don't know, ADHD or something to be stuck in Scripture that long. But this particular passage bears some uh, deep study, and that's why it's taking me a little bit longer. Don't worry, friends. We're going to get to the, the point you've all been waiting for, but not today. Instead, we're going to be picking up in verse number 28. We're in that beautiful story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus and the disciples there at Bethany. And as we begin in verse 28, it says, having said this, so you actually have to go back to 27 and say, all right, what has just been said? Well, of course, that's the great confession Martha makes that, yes, Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And she makes that beautiful, stirring confession of faith in Christ in front of him after he had said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, in verse 28, here's what takes place afterwards. We see Martha, but now the shift of, of scenery isn't going to change the place, but the person. We're going from Martha to Mary. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus and the disciples are hanging around on the outskirts. They haven't gone in, haven't gone to the cemetery yet. Isn't this once again one of those amazing times where you're kind of in God's waiting room waiting to see what is he going to do? Have you been there? Have you looked around in the middle of your grief or your tragedy or your situation and said, where is Jesus? I, I called for him. Where, why hasn't he stepped in and made a difference in my life? He's there, my friends, but working out his timing and his purposes sometimes makes us a little bit fretful, doesn't it? We get anxious. We wring our hands. We wish God would do something right now because, see, he's not on our timetable. We want it done now immediately, and, and we can't wait. But yet Jesus is working out something all too important. And first he has an encounter with Martha. Next he's going to have an encounter with Mary. Both of these are absolutely necessary before he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. So it says that, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, what did they do? They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. So, you know, these are the mourners. They, they show up to mourn with you. I mean, it's, it's great that they're there. They're, they're comforting in their presence. That's, that's the whole purpose. Sometimes you don't know what to say, don't know what to do, but just your being there will help. That's one of the problems with the way the world has reacted to COVID in the last couple of years. It really prevents people from having the consolation that comes with 
you and your presence just being there. I've heard people say, look, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It doesn't matter if you just show up. Sometimes that's what people need to get through their times of grief. But in particular, now we see that time where, of course, Mary is surrounded by those that are helping her cry and grieve through the loss of her brother. And now she gets up and leaves. They just figure, well, let's go where she's going. Maybe we can cry with her there. It's just part of the Jewish culture of the day. But now watch what happens in verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds almost identical to what Martha said to Jesus. Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would have died. Now, there's a very interesting insight here from the Greek it's pointed out by M.O. Owens. I want you to hear because I wouldn't otherwise have picked this up myself. He says, Mary and Martha's words appear identical in our English translations when you compare verse 21 to verse 32. But in the Greek text, the word order is slightly changed. And word order in Greek indicates emphasis. Martha, the aggressive and possessive person, says, My brother as if Jesus had deprived her of a cherished possession. Martha, the tender and sympathetic sister, said, My brother, stressing the fact that Lazarus was the sufferer. Wow, isn't that a simple and subtle difference in a passage that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise? I wouldn't have noticed it, but it's important when you look at the personalities of these two sisters, how different they are and where their emphasis might have been. Now let's see what happens after she says this to Jesus. After she says, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. Well, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Then we have verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible two simple words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Of course he could have, but he didn't. So what's he going to do now? As we get to this particular passage, we have to understand now that people are even calling Jesus into question. What's the reason for his delay? Why didn't he come and heal his friend Lazarus? Owens writes that Jesus' delay had given the impression he did not care what happened to Lazarus, but just the opposite was true. Jesus is never indifferent to human problems. He's never indifferent to your suffering, my friend. When he saw the family and the mourners there wailing for the dead, his heart was moved. Now, Jesus' emotional response was threefold. Uh, if, if you look at the Greek language here, it indicates that there were several things going on there. He was angry, he was distressed, and he wept. Twice the account says he was deeply moved, both in verses 33 and 38. And the term meant literally, snort like a horse. 
you know, angry enough that you just want to snort. You ever been that mad before, just upset about the circumstances and the situation? You know, maybe you were that way yesterday when you went out, as some folks in our area did, and you looked at that gigantic tree or tree limb that just fell on your car. So sorry, my friends. <laughs> what was your reaction? Well, sometimes our reactions are, of course, we're grieving, but sometimes you just want to snort like a horse. <laughs> well, he goes on to write, it connotated indignance more so than sorrow. So as he looked upon the cemetery at Bethany, a silent memorial to the devastation of death that death had brought on the human race, he was angered against man's great enemy. Merrill Tenney describes this in a different way. He said, death to him was not an impassable barrier, but call to battle. Well, Jesus' distress may have arisen partly from the anguish he experienced in coping with this enemy, for he later used the same word translated troubled as he contemplated his own death. Now, when we have those two simple words, Jesus wept. It makes us think, doesn't it? It might be the shortest verse in the Bible, but there's an awful lot of meaning behind those two words. I have noted that some of you pastors that love to take little words and preach long sermons have actually preached entire messages on these two words, Jesus wept. Well, Jesus wept, not the hopeless wailing of a hired mourner, Owens writes, but with deep compassion for his friends. The comment of the mourners reflects the impression that Jesus had made upon them, if you read verse 36, that he loved the family at Bethany and Lazarus was his close friend. Now, where does that leave us today? I want you to understand that when we're following Jesus, we're not following some impersonal God who does not care some impersonal God with a long set of rules and regulations by which he will check off boxes as to whether he's going to let you into heaven or not. Not the kind of overruling kind of God that would declare you should go on some kind of jihad to somehow earn your entrance into heaven. No, none of those things. We understand Jesus as not just a suffering Savior and suffering for us, but one who understands our suffering and feels with us. He has empathy for us. When he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he has tears in his eyes. Why? He has been weeping. He's been weeping for those there. He knows what he's about to do. He understands that Lazarus will come out of the grave, but his heart is still broken. And it's touched over the tragedy that's befallen this family and this community. It's the same kind of way that I believe he feels every time there's a senseless murder. We read about the poor young lady who had been rescued from the Puerto Rican hurricanes. Her family had moved after their home had been destroyed in Puerto Rico into New York City. There she got a job at a Burger King. But she had already begged, after working there for three months, she had begged the bosses to move her off that night shift because it seemed scary there in that part of Harlem. She was afraid. Her fears came true the other night when a man rushed in in a crazed moment, trying to get as much money as he could, just angrily attacking people. And when she couldn't provide all that he wanted, he just pulls out a gun and kills her in cold blood. My friends, do you think that that kind of thing goes 
past God? Does he notice or does he not notice? No, my friends, it breaks his heart every time something like that happens. Jesus, I believe, weeps even today in the halls of heaven. His heart broken over what sin has done and is doing to our world. But he's promised us something that one day, not only is he coming back, but he's going to solve the sin problem. He's going to take it away. He's going to judge this world. And when he does, because of his great feelings for us, the Bible says he shall wipe away every tear. He's going to change the circumstances. So friends, his grief, as he has promised, is one day going to bring the great solution. No, not the great reset that everybody else is trying to talk you into, but it's going to be the great coming of the one who's going to remove all this pain and sorrow and suffering once and for all. And we will be able to say with the songwriter, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Well, thanks for spending a little bit of time with me this morning. We'll do this again tomorrow as we will stand in front of the tomb of Lazarus with Jesus and his disciples and watch one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Invite a friend, come join me, and let's see what God has to say as we wake up in his word.